Well, hello again. Thank you for joining us. I'm Graham. This is Devin and Matt. We are ministers at the La Mesa Church of Christ, and we are back for another edition of Real Parables. This is a, a, an opportunity for us to talk about, you know, uh, Hollywood, typically Hollywood blockbusters, yeah. um, where we look at these movies, and we kind of see where these movies intersect with uh, our faith. We use them as uh, modern-day parables to uh, help us have a greater understanding of how um, something about God or something about Jesus or how God is asking us to to live through life. Uh, you know, because a lot of times, you know, movies, they get this bad rap. You know, as Christians, we sometimes think of Hollywood as being this evil uh, corporate structure. But, you know, there's a lot of truth that can be found in these movies, uh, a lot of positive uh, messages that show us how to live or maybe show us how not to live. So I, I'm glad that you could be with us as we talk about a uh, our first Nick Cage movie. Yes. Uh, the Knowing. Uh, so why don't you tell us about The Knowing. So uh, the, the Knowing is uh, probably one of the most adult of the movies that we've done a podcast on. This might not be one you want to watch uh, with your kids, but it is definitely a a movie with some, some good ideas to pull from yeah. and uh, as you said it's a Nick Cage movie so you know it's wonderful yes uh, great actor we're, we're big fans of Nick Cage movies and, and uh, as wonderful as an actor as he is he is fun to make fun of uh, but this, this is a, one of my favorite Nick Cage movies um, I think a lot of uh, there's a lot of polarizing views of this movie yes. uh, to Christians especially uh, because of the kind of Christian ideas that are in it they're not really biblical specifically but they're they're more they're really fictional ideas Broad of, strokes yeah yeah um the the if you haven't seen the movie uh before listening to this podcast please watch it um it is it is a very good uh it's like a thriller sci-fi which is a a great genre for nick cage yeah. there's a great chance that you have not seen this movie yeah it, it came out two, 2009 yeah and uh I, I remember seeing this in theaters, but it was not. Uh, I think I don't think it was a movie everybody was rushing to go see. No. But uh, this movie is basically a modern day tale of Noah's Ark. So it takes place in it was Massachusetts, correct? Yeah, Boston area. Yeah. So there's this uh, this professor uh, from MIT named John and his son Caleb are kind of the main characters of this movie, and as as the movie starts out, there's this character named Lucinda who has the idea of a time capsule. She's this little girl who puts this idea towards the school, and the school chooses this idea for their anniversary. Mm -hmm. And in 50 years, they'll pull this time capsule out. Mm -hmm. And so she puts in this time capsule this letter. And this letter just happens to be the letter that uh, John's son Caleb gets. Mm -hmm. And when they open this letter up, they see that it is a letter just covered in a page back in... Uh, for front just all numbers and uh, when they were supposed to draw a picture an endless string of numbers yeah so uh so john john thinks this uh this letter's weird he kind of studies it and really quickly kind of deciphers what it means and sees that these numbers are the the dates and the number of people dying in these catastrophic events mm -hmm. uh, the first one he discovers is 911 and then he also discovers uh, the event that his wife had died in and countless others throughout history. And uh, John tries to debunk this letter. So he starts to 
looking up the 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 history of the people who pulled this time capsule out of the ground he he looks at lucinda the the lady who or the little girl that wrote this out he interviews his old or her old teacher mm-hmm. and so he's really trying to debunk this letter because he uh he doesn't believe in he doesn't it, want to believe yeah he doesn't want to believe in this kind of predestined plan yeah and so he ends up running into Lucinda's family, his daughter or her daughter Diana and granddaughter Abby, and he kind of interviews them, trying to get what's going on through their perspective. And he learns that she was she considered herself a prophet of God, mm-hmm. and everyone thought she was crazy. And he's starting to see after he witnesses these catastrophes happening in real time, first a plane crash mm-hmm. and then a subway accident, he thinks he's meant to stop these events from happening because at the very end he, he discovers that everyone's going to die. So uh, later on he, he, he goes on and finds that the sun is going to be the reason why this is happening and because he studies astrophysics... Conveniently. Yeah. He has access to the technology mm-hmm. to find out what the sun's gonna, how the sun is going to kill everybody, mm-hmm. and realizes that it's an unavoidable event. There's no way to avoid the end of the world, and he kind of discovers that his purpose isn't to stop the end of the world, but to kind of just know where to be when it ends. And he doesn't know why, but he discovers that his son Caleb and Abby the the granddaughter of Lucinda are chosen to be a part of this new world um, idea. And John uh, goes ahead and goes to this location, finds that he's not supposed, he's not chosen to go there, but he's still at peace, uh, goes back to his family and spends his final moments with his, uh, his father. Mm-hmm. And he, he shares this, this one moment where his, uh, his dad tells him, son, you know, this isn't the end. And he says, I know. And, the world is destroyed by the sun yeah yeah so there's you know there's a lot of stuff to talk about yeah it's very dense yeah um you know so we're gonna try and keep it broad you know instead (laughs) of picking apart every little scene and doing it that way you know there's some you know kind of big picture things that are happening throughout this this story that is trying to be told um you know and there's, uh, at the very beginning, which kind of, you know, sets the tone for what's about to happen, you yeah. know, you know, forecasting, um, you know, Nick Cage is a John, right? His name's John. Yeah. He's a college professor at MIT of astrophysics, mm-hmm. you know, so he is like, uh, uh, who's the, who's the, uh, astrophysicist that's so famous, um, uh. Neil deGrasse Tyson. Yeah, yeah, Neil, yeah, Neil deGrasse Tyson. So he's like a Neil deGrasse Tyson kind of person, right? You know, uber smart, has this big picture perspective on, you know, life as a whole, right? So he's talking to his students at MIT um, about, you know, these two different trains of thought, you know? So the first one he talks about is uh, determinism, mm-hmm. right? He said determinism is that, you know, everything is intricately planned out, you know, from the very beginning, you know, that there's this uh, celestial ball of fire that, you know, is just 
um, uncontrollable and chaotic, but yet somehow at just the right distance away, you know, that there is this planet that is able to sustain life because it is the perfect distance and moving at the perfect speed and everything is just working in harmony with this ball of chaos because everything is pre-planned, predetermined to happen. So he said that is one way of looking at things, that God or a creator has created everything to work in one specific way. And then he said on the other side, you have randomness. You know, So you have this where things just happen. There's no planning. There's no real uh, meaning behind anything. Everything just kind of happens. And, you know, that you know, that whole conversation with his class, you know, sets the stage because they ask him, well, what do you believe, uh, you know, as a professor, what do you believe is the right thing to believe? And he says, well, I frankly think that stuff happens. Yeah, I won't say the word he <laughs> said, but, you know, he says stuff happens. You know, so his, he, at this point in his belief system, you know, is completely sold into the randomness idea of things, yeah. that, that nothing's pre-planned. Uh, even though he came from, you know, a, a household where his dad is a very prominent uh, preacher, and he's been taught, you know, Bible truths his whole life, he is of the state of mind, especially after the death of his wife, you know, a year earlier, yeah, I think it was. Yeah, it was about a year um, you know, that everything is just random, that there is no uh, meaning behind everything, and you can't control any of it anyways. So he, at that point in the movie, is completely sold out to randomness. And then throughout the movie, uh, we start to get this picture that maybe things aren't so random. Yeah. You know, that the, it's definitely from the producers, directors, and scriptwriters' standpoint that everything is, uh, there are things that happen but it is all planned out and determined. You know, so is it total, is it a real idea of determinism, or is it you know, a combination of the two? We don't really know, but it's definitely not all just random stuff that happens. So uh, with that in mind, I thought it would be good for us to talk about our own personal you know, view of that. I don't know yeah. that any of us are going to be you know, completely on one side or completely yeah. on the other side, but where do you guys fall in that spectrum of, you know, if... Uh, if determinism is 10 and randomness is 1, you know, where do you fall in that? I personally... Scale. Yeah, it's a scale. <laughs> so where would you fall? You know, would you like be right in the middle? Would you be leaning more to one side? I, I think... Like, Nick Cage says uh, stuff happens. Yeah. And I, I, think, I think that is true, but I think there also is some... Yeah determined parts in this too yeah. so maybe like around seven or eight i would guess on determinism side on the yeah, yeah. towards deter okay. determinism um what i think is interesting about about how this movie puts it is usually like movies involving faith faith is is challenged mm -hmm. uh towards like the the christian side this way it's the opposite he's yeah. a he, he has faith in science yeah and it Faith in science is being challenged. Yeah, the faith in science is being challenged. Yeah. Which I thought was interesting. Yeah. But yeah, I, I think I, uh, when I was looking more into what determinism was, it, it mentioned how there's a lot of people who look who look at it as it's completely 
predestination, but there's also people who consider determinism as their free will does fit into there. Yeah. So I think I'm part of that close to free will determinism mm -hmm. yeah. type of type of it's view. It's about it's about where I am. About six seven somewhere in there. Because I I think that you know I think that God knows what's going to happen, but I think He also allows for randomosity yeah. to take place. It's not just like. You know, because if everything was predestined, then we wouldn't have the choice to love God. You know, it would be, mm. you know, we're not robots. Mm. So I feel like that, I feel like we have the capability to make our own choices and our own, come up to our own conclusions, but in the end, God knows what's going to happen. Yeah. Yeah. I'm more, leaning more towards more of the, the randomness. Uh, I I believe that God is you know being all knowing. Yeah. He knows everything that's going to happen, but I think, uh, especially with the little stuff in life, I think that uh, a lot of stuff just happens, and uh, it's what we do with that stuff that matters. Yeah. And I think that's what um, you know. You even see present in you know as you go through the Bible, as you have these you know points where bad stuff happens. Yeah. You know, bad stuff happens to everybody. You know, some people have it worse than other people, um, but it's what we do with that bad stuff, and it's how we let God use that bad stuff that makes all the difference. You know, so God yeah. uses the randomness, you know, whether it's our own choices or choices that are being made for us, it's our choice to allow God to use those things that make all the difference in how we move through life. So I think things are very random, you know. Yeah. I, I mean, I've never been one... You know, this sounds bad because, I mean, I love my wife dearly, but I've never been one to think that there is one true love. You know, mm -hmm. I, I don't think that's a real thing. Um, I love her dearly, but, you know, had we not ever met, does that mean I'd be miserable for the rest of my life? Mm -hmm. I don't think so. You know, I just don't think that's the way the world works. But at the same time, you know, God can use whatever situation we find ourselves in by our own random decisions for good. Yeah, I think kind of going, if you're like too extreme on determinism, I think that can be really damaging mm -hmm. to, to your faith. Because like for Nick Cage's uh, character, John, he loses his wife. Mm -hmm. he, 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 he's grown up in a Christian house. And because of this idea that everything's like been planned mm -hmm. to him, he's going to look at that as God, God knew my wife was going to die and just yeah, let it happen. Yeah. And... I, I think that's that's where I see determinism being a very unhealthy yeah. view of God yeah. because it can yeah. it can really hurt your faith because God let my kid get cancer and yeah. die slowly yeah. yeah yeah that's that's the ugly side of it and you know the the reality is we live in a broken world yeah, yeah. I mean the Bible is very clear about that that you know in the fall of humanity it didn't just cause us as humans to fall it caused all of creation to fall so. Bad stuff happens, you know. It's so like Nick Cage says in that classroom, you know. I believe stuff happens, and yeah. stuff does happen, yeah. and it's because we live in a ugly, broken, messed up world, and it's our responsibility as followers of Christ to do the best we possibly can with the situation that we find ourselves in. And I think that you know, even though Nick Cage, you know, I don't think he would call himself. A believer in the beginning of this movie. No, I think he was trying to do that. You know, he was yeah. trying to do what he thought was best in that moment with the information he had. Yeah. 
Well, moving on to uh, another topic in this movie is purpose. Uh, John cannot really figure out what, what his purpose is because he, he's been given this knowledge of, of how to change the world. Uh, that, well, he thinks how to change the yeah. world, but really what's to happen. And uh, he doesn't really understand the gift he's been given. He doesn't so, understand how the world's going to end yeah. until towards the end of the movie. Yeah, that's pretty late on. So when when I I look at that at his complete confusion, uh, I kind of I kind of look at my own life and try to think about what gifts has has God given me, and like what what have I struggled with mm-hmm. in trying to find my purpose? Mm-hmm. Do you guys have any other similar circumstances you can think of where you feel like you, you've been given this gift, but you have no idea how that fits into God's purpose. Yeah, I was, you know, um, I've known for a long time that my gift, or one of my gifts, is cooking. You know, and it's not one of those spiritual gifts that you read about in, you know, yeah. Corinthians. I mean, not necessarily. <laughs> yeah. But, um, let me guess, hospitality. But, yeah. um, you know, I've known from the get-go that that's my gift. I, I know exactly who I am and what I'm able to do, and I'm pretty good at doing it, um, but you know, when I first became a believer, I had no idea how that gift was ever going to be used in a church. Yeah. I, you know, I, it's a church. You know, there's not restaurants in churches, or at least not, there's not most churches have. Yeah. Uh, now, when I went to Texas, you know, Richland Hills, now called the Hills, they actually did have a... Uh, it wasn't really a, a restaurant. It was more of a cafeteria-style thing where busy families who didn't have time to um, go home and make dinner before Wednesday night church could have dinner at at that mm-hmm. at that place. So, anyways, but you know, I have found um, a purpose in you know over the years and how my gift of cooking can be used. And there's a variety of ways it's been used, and I. I've um, helped teens who have a rudimentary interest in cooking to help them with uh, maybe trying to find some purpose in uh, possibly even career paths. I have helped another teen um, with her Girl Scout troop, you know, get her gold medal, you know, because she wanted to do it with regards to cooking and nutrition and, and serving. And I've uh, cooked for many, many, many people in the church, you know, mm-hmm. just for uh, hosting dinners in our home, um, you know, and there's obviously potlucks and, you know, the agape feasts for years, you know, the majority of the cooking for that was done by me, so, mm-hmm. you know, God allows us to use our gifts, you know, if we just up- allow ourselves to be open to the possibilities, Yeah, you because they might not be able to be used in the traditional sense, you know, but that doesn't mean they won't be able to be used. Yeah. yeah, one of the gifts that the God has given me is that I'm I'm really good at math, and I hate math, <laughs> so it it really annoys me that I'm good at this. And for a long time, I was trying to really understand why God gave me this gift, and to this day, I don't really know. Like, I thought because of this, oh, God wants me to go into engineering, so I went to engineering school and was like, oh, this is not why God sent me here. I'm supposed to be doing. God ministry. doesn't want me to be miserable. <laughs> so. Even even today, I don't I don't really know why I'm really good at math. I, I, I maybe I'm gonna end up having a kid one day who's terrible at math, and they'll desperately need me <laughs> to tutor them. I don't know, 
But I, I think it's kind of just trusting in, in God that, like, uh, whatever gift he has given me, there's a reason for it. People who are good in math are typically very good at biblical Greek. I Yeah, I, I am good at Greek, too, which is one thing I do so, I do actually enjoy is so, Greek. So maybe your gift is not necessarily math, but language. Yeah. I grew up in Southern California, yet I'm better at Greek than Spanish. <laughs> <laughs> I don't... It makes more sense to me. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I think for me, I, I know I've known from the time I was a kid that my my gift was music, and um, you know I in college I thought, you know, even when I became a Christian, I thought, you know, my calling is going to be to be a band director, you know, to conduct, to do all those things that I had wanted to do for so long, and then that path kind of changed. And now I see what God really had for my for my gift. I really see like what what He wanted me to do with it. So it's you know mm. been pretty pretty awesome to see. Yeah, yeah and it, you know how we use our gifts is it's amazing. You know, in this movie, you know, you see uh, the biggest theme in the whole thing is prophecy. Yeah, you know, I mean, throughout the whole thing, it's all about prophecy. It starts with this little girl, you know, at the beginning of the movie that you talked about who. You know, for this class project, they were, um, you know, supposed to be drawing these pictures, and she, you know, kept hearing these numbers, so she would, mm -hmm. you know, keep writing these numbers down over and over and over and over and over again, and, you know, she was, because she was being compelled by God to do so, and, you know, she put that, uh, the teacher put that letter in the time capsule for Caleb 50 years later to open it. Mm -hmm. And it just so happens that Caleb is the son of an astrophysicist who has a mind that's able to look outside the realm of um, norms and look at things from a bigger picture. You know, that Neil deGrasse Tyson kind of brain. You know, and then Caleb also, you know, he uh, was able to hear the whispers, is what they call them, you know, mm -hmm. which is... Um, angels. The angels yeah. trying to talk to these kids, and at first, you know, they're kind of, you know, they appear to be kind of a scary uh, figure, but yeah. you find out later on they're just angels. And in the Bible, you know, the first thing angels you guys say is, "Don't be afraid," because yeah. we're kind of scary. Yeah. yeah. So Which I thought a pretty yeah. good picture of yeah. it. <laughs> so, um, you know, we have these three people that are all involved in the same prophecy. You know, you have the little girl, you have Caleb, and then you have, you know, Nick Cage, John. You know, and they're all given their own special gifts that are all a part of this prophecy. You know, the, the little girl was able to write all that stuff down. You know, Caleb uh, was able to, you know, he had the foresight to not give that letter back, but to take it home and, you know, he, and let his dad see it. Mm. Because he, maybe it means something. You know, these numbers can't just be random. They have to mean something. And then, you know, Nick Cage, you know, he, even though he didn't directly receive prophecy, you know, he wasn't like the, the little girl or like Caleb who had this, you know, hunch about maybe this means something, you know, but he had this brain. And, you know, his, his gift might not have been prophecy as we would know it in the Bible, but he had the ability to reason and think about what these numbers could represent. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm.
And, you know, the, the chances of it happening that quickly. Yeah. He figures out, like. Like, in five minutes, yeah. he figures out this code. <laughs> yeah. His, you know, two pages of random numbers, and he figures it out like that. I mean. Well, he but just looks at that coffee stain, and he's like, <laughs> he's like, this set of numbers looks interesting. And then he's yeah. <laughs> so, and maybe the coffee cup is, you know, was part of the whole God intervening to make him see it in a different way. But, yeah. you know, it, um, the, the whole idea, though, is they were all a part of this prophecy in their own particular way. And that their ability and willingness to play their part in God's role for them was hugely important to uh, maybe not the future of Earth, but for the future of humanity. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, because all those you know kids were taken off to you know restart somewhere else. So, how would you react if you were a part of a prophecy that in the moment made no sense at all? You know, in the moment, you know, it just isn't a, a rational, logical thing. But how would you react if you were just a part of it? I feel like it'd be hard to talk about to people without oh, yeah. Yeah. coming off as crazy. Yeah. I um, would have a hard time just believing it. Yeah. It, like, yeah, because I'd, I'd be just trying to convince myself, like, it was just it was just a bad dream or mm-hmm. I'm just seeing seeing things. Like, mm-hmm. it's, it's hard... Yeah, to not only to convince other people, but to convince yourself that it's actually what you saw. Mm-hmm. Which is kind of what we see with, you know, Nick Cage. You know, he... Yeah, and uh, Lucinda. Yeah, they really have to spend some time proving it to themselves that is this, is this really real? Is this yeah. really a possibility? Is this really what we're seeing here? You know, I don't, for me, I think I'd really have a hard time even seeing the proof, believing that it's real, you know, how could this, and, you know, there's enough evidence early on, you know, like, because if you look at the paper, there was the date and the number of people killed, but then there was these other numbers that were after it mm-hmm. that uh, just didn't make any sense, you know, so there's these, you know, as he's looking at this, you know, number grid, it was all these big blocks of numbers that weren't used so what was that you know maybe it is just random i'm making it into something that it's not really supposed to be i'm looking you know i have this information and i'm trying to fill in the blanks to make it make sense in my mind maybe it doesn't mean anything at all but then he finds out that those other numbers are latitudes and longitude numbers you know to help figure out where that event took place Mm -hmm. You know, and in that moment, you know, I would have a hard time if I created a reasonable argument for why something isn't real. I think I would probably incline just just leave it at that. And maybe that's because I'm not a scientist. Yeah. I'm not an astrophysicist. You know, I'm more comfortable with saying, well, maybe it doesn't mean anything. Mm-hmm. Or this is really uh, scary, and I think I'd rather just go on with life as normal as I can. Yeah. What about you, Matt? What do you, how would you react in that kind of a situation where you're part of a prophecy that didn't make any sense? I think, I think about something like, you brought up Noah earlier. Mm -hmm. This idea of, you know, I need to build a boat. (laughs) I have to do, I mean like, it has, you know, there's no rain. I mean, what are we, what am I doing? And, like, people are probably going to come up to me and think I'm crazy. And 
how do I, you know, I don't, what do I do with all this? And I think the same thing with this, like, you know, I feel like he has this massive feeling of responsibility mm-hmm. to feel like he has this knowledge. How can I, how can I use it? But at the same time, that knowledge makes me sound crazy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, it's just, I think I would have, you know, I think I would have a really hard time trying to explain it to people. Like when he calls, you know, the terrorist hotline from a payphone. Yeah. Like, you know, if you don't listen to what I say, hundreds of people are going to die. And it's like, it's like, really? Like, you yeah. have to, like, that's We're going to interpret that in a different way. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm surprised he didn't end up in, end up in a prison, that's, you know, yeah. after yeah. that. But, you know, just. Satellites following him around. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's just. It's got to be a point where you believe this enough that, and this is this is probably this is one of the scary things about conspiracy theories is, what if you're wrong, <laughs> you know, and you do something crazy, but yeah, when there's that much, when he's seeing that much evidence, it makes it much more believable just because you're able to see, you know, with numbers like you know when he's in the car and he sees that date. Yeah. And he's like, those numbers are the, are the GPS coordinates that I'm at. Mm-hmm. You know, and all of a sudden, a plane <laughs> yeah, says, like The coordinates I'm at right now. <laughs> yeah. He's like... <laughs> oh, all these people are going to die where I'm at. Yeah. 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 And a plane just, you know, crashes right there. I mean, it's yeah. crazy. So, I mean, you know, I think we see him go into to New York, and he's like trying to, you know, help them solve the subway thing that might happen, and... Uh-huh. Just, I mean, I don't know how. I, I, I'd have a hard time, I think, trying to explain it to people. Because, like, how do you explain that? Yeah. But, but you know, I feel like if I had that information, I would want to share it. I'd want to try to get that out there. Yeah, you're you're stuck between wanting to get the information out there, but also you don't want to seem crazy. Yeah. Who's gonna believe me if I tell the world? Yeah. 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 Like when he tells, uh, you know, Lucinda's daughter, and she's just like, I need to go. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. You know, please, goodbye. Please, please leave us alone. <laughs> I was already a little uncomfortable without your sideburns and your weird way of talking. But, yeah. 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 There's a, you know, you mentioned, you know, the plane crash, you know, in that, um, you know, as he's trying to understand this prophecy that's going on. But, you know, he when he first understands... He's trying to figure out the numbers still. He doesn't have a full understanding of what's happening. He just knows that on that day that, you know, 81 people are going to die. And he's trying to figure out what it all means. And as he's sitting in traffic on his way to his son's school to pick him up, uh, he happens to look down because he's not moving. So he sees his, you know, GPS coordinates and it equals the longitude and latitude of the numbers. You know, so he's like, so, 81 people are going to die today, right here. Am I a part of this? So, he gets, you know, so he's wondering if that's what is causing the traffic. Did 81 people already die up ahead, and that's why this traffic is kind of crazy? So, he goes to investigate, and as he's out investigating, you know, you see this pretty good cinematography. Yeah, you know. Cause, and they trick you, too. They, there's a big oil rig that's sideways, yeah. and they're like, oh. It's going to blow up. Yeah. yeah. But then you see this plane, you know, coming through and it slices through power lines and, mm-hmm. you know, a one wing hits the traffic and whole thing blows up. And, you know, so 
you know, in, in one sense, he's finally getting some answers, but he just realized, oh, this is real. You know, <laughs> yeah. That people are really going to die, and i got to do something. Maybe if I do something, I can change those numbers. You know, so he, you know, charges out into the field to try and help people who are, you know, burning. You know, he literally sees people running through the field on fire because they've been, you know, covered in jet fuel that's ignited. Yeah. You know, so he's doing everything he can to help, um, you know, these individuals. And it made me really think about, you know, that question again, what would I do, you know, in that kind of situation? Yeah. You know, when I see disaster what do what I do now knowing about myself I'm pretty sure I would have reacted in a similar way you know that I uh, would have maybe not run as quickly as Nick Cage yeah. uh, but um, maybe a little more cautiously because he was kind of I don't even know if I would have got out of my car <laughs> when as soon as I saw those numbers yeah. but you know because he kind of like stands in like a burning puddle of jet fuel like trying to help somebody on fire yeah. for a second uh, I don't think I would have done that but yeah. I definitely would have been doing everything I possibly could to help people you know yeah. whatever that is um, but I started thinking about other kinds of disasters because you know the chances of us seeing that kind of disaster in our lifetime is pretty nominal I mean I, I couldn't even imagine the you know the ratio on what that is you know one in uh, 10 million you yeah. know something ridiculous like that but what about other kinds of disasters? You know, people go through disasters all the time. You know, yeah. our, our country's gone through a disaster mm -hmm. over the past year with COVID and, you know, everything that's gone on with that. You know, lives lost, people sick, people afraid, people out of work. Uh, then you have smaller individual disasters, you know, people having um, their, their lives ruined because something happens, you know, maybe it's an illness in the family, maybe it's, you know, um, the loss of somebody you love, maybe it's, you know, a financial hardship that happens, you know, but how do we, as Christians, you know, what is our role in response, and how do we see ourselves being able to do that in the most effective way, I mean, what do you guys think? I'm mean, gonna have my own ideas, but I want to yeah. see where you're at. Well, I mean, depending on the situation, you have to approach it different ways. Like thinking, thinking about COVID. Um, like when COVID hit, me and my wife both lost our jobs mm -hmm. and had to try to figure out what are we going to do to keep ourselves going. Mm -hmm. And a part of that that happening that disaster, I I kind of looked to God and thought, well, the best thing I can do to help this disaster is uh, is just positivity, peace, mm -hmm. finding peace in God that he has me covered. And I think that's kind of like what the job of a lot, a lot of ministers are in this mm -hmm. world is to, to help bring people peace mm -hmm. because... I think it's it's hard when you're in those moments of disaster to try to look for peace. Mm -hmm. You're you're just focused on the the bad thing that's happened, the mm -hmm. death that's happened, the loss of job, loss mm -hmm. of money. Like you 
it's hard to look to anything else. And I think that's something that's really important that ministers and pastors are trying to help people to find peace in God again. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's a a term that was used on a hilarious, one of my favorite TV shows called New Girl. Yeah. Um, I'm not going to talk about the situation where they're using this term, but it's pretty hilarious. They call it Bidening. You know, that you got to be like Joe Biden, where you're just there. <laughs> when uh, when somebody is doing this, you, you be there. When this is when they're going through this in life, yeah. you be there. When there's this happening, you be there. Mm-hmm. And I think that's really in a very different way than what they're talking about in the TV show. But, you know, from a, a minister's perspective and just as Christian perspective, you know, I think it's important for us to make it a point to be there in people's yeah. lives. You know, it is so easy for us when we have this stuff, you know, yeah. these things. You know, we have, we have all this, um, you know, whether we're talking about TV or our cell phones or our computers or whatever it happens to be, it's so easy for us to be focused just in our own little uh, digital world. Mm-hmm. Or uh, maybe you're not a digital person. Maybe you like books, but it's so easy for you to be focused in that, that book for that moment. You know, that you aren't ever present in life. And I think being present in life is so important, especially in life with each other. You know, so when somebody is going through uh, a financial disaster in their lives, you know, I, I financially speaking, I'm not in a position where I can help Yeah. in any kind of real way. I mean, I can yeah. help with some groceries or, you know, maybe a little bit here or there. But there's no way I could personally pull somebody out of financial ruin. Yeah. I, I don't have that ability. But what I can do is, oh, okay, so you need to find a new job. Well, how about you let me help by making you dinners? Or how about you let me help by watching the kids while you look for a new job? Yeah. Or maybe I can help. You know, just be there for you to, to talk to about where does life go from here. Yeah. You know, and that, I think that is so important, you know, through all life situations. You know, when people, and this is, I think, one of the parts that's been so hard about COVID-19, you know, when people get sick or when people are beyond just sick and they get, they're at the end of their life, right? You know, one of the, the most important roles for uh, a minister um, to have is being there during those sick times, uh, end of life times, you know, when, uh, that's when people need us the most, but yeah. because of what's happened, that hasn't been easy. You know, even our closest loved ones, if they're in the hospital, we haven't been able to be in the hospital with them. You know, we've had to, um, mourn from a distance. Yeah. And, uh, I think we've all kind of had this reawakening just, how important it is to be present in people's lives. You know, so whether we're talking about being present in our own family's lives or being present in the lives of the people we go to church with or even just our neighbors, you know, I think we all are having a better understanding of the importance of um, doing our part, you know, and not just the bad times, but the good times too. You know, that uh, having presence is so important in what you were talking about. Yeah. In helping people see some positivity. Yeah. Do you have anything? 
Not really think you guys okay. said it all. Okay. <laughs> so another big point in this uh, in this podcast, or not in the podcast, in the movie, is uh, Noah's Ark. This whole movie is a retelling of Noah's Ark, and the whole idea of this is new creation. Um, God cleanses uh, the corruption of the world with a flood of water, but in this case, it's a flood of fire from the sun. And you see this lots of times, not only in Noah's Ark, but also in Jesus's death at the cross, being reborn again, uh, baptism. When we are baptized, we uh, die to sin and are born again. And I'm just curious, what other aspects of our life do you think require a new creation like this? Well, I've, uh, I think that there's, you know, to some extent, there's new creation that happens on a, a regular basis. You know, even, you know, there's the obvious points you know, in life, you know, there's the obvious, uh, I would, like I told before, I wasn't raised in the church, you know, lived a pretty sinful life, didn't really come to Jesus until my, you know, early twenties, you know, so there was recreation in that moment. Mm -hmm. But then, you know, there's this, you know, recreation that's happened at several different points, you know, and each one, you know, was kind of marked by, you know, uh, our own version of some new revelation, mm -hmm. you know, that, uh, for instance, you know, a rebirth was new Christian, uh, was not real sure what that meant to life, but I realized that the, the workplace that I was currently in was not a safe place for a new believer to be. You know, I was a uh, new believer, soon to be married, uh, wanting to make better choices in life, but I was surrounded by women who were, you know, I was a chef, and in the restaurant business, especially in restaurants that have a more of a, a party atmosphere, you know, women come on to the chefs all the time. Uh, I was fortunate that I never had any interest in any of that, but I also didn't want the temptation. You know, I just didn't want to be a part of that. So I, I had to make the decision that something had to change. You know, so I had this rebirth at that point where I had to become a, a different person. And then, you know, that may, may have a fundamental change in everything that I thought that I knew about myself because I was no longer going to be Graham the chef. I was going to be Graham the general utility at mm -hmm. a factory where thousands of other people worked and how unromantic of a job is that <laughs> <laughs> you know I mean, there's nothing cool or special or creative about that at all yeah. but I thought at that time that was the best thing for my future and you know the the family so um, I think we always go through these periods where we have to look at where we're at in life and reevaluate am I on the right path? Mm -hmm. You know, I've done this, you know, throughout the years being here at La Mesa, where I look at uh, the kind of ministry that I have here, the impact that I'm making on people, and um, am I, is God calling me somewhere else? Mm -hmm. You know, I, I think he's told me no, 
you know, I don't think I've ever disobeyed him because of my own comfort level, uh, at least to my knowledge. But I am, you know, constantly asking, is, is this what God continuing, you know, wants me to do? Because, you know, I don't know what's best. And maybe he was willing to reveal something to me if I just ask him more often. Yeah. You know, which I think is probably my biggest uh, flaw is that my first instinct in most of my life is to just move forward and get stuff done rather yeah. than ask God, what do you want me to do? Yeah. Because that's what I was raised to do is get the job done. Keep going. Move, move, move. Yeah. What needs to be done next? I'll, yeah. I'll just so do it before my, I it's asked. That's been one of my biggest rebirths over the whole spectrum of my adult life is slowing down and being more intentional about asking God, what do you want me to do with this? Mm-hmm. Because uh, I have a feeling I know where we're going, but is this really what you're saying? Or is this because this is what makes me comfortable? Yeah. Yeah, we guess it. I think for I think for myself, like I, I think more about like a rebirth for me is like the fact that I'm that I'm that I'm loved by God. You know, I I grew I think like like I feel like that like the kid, uh, Caleb, you know, he you know, he, he had been through a lot. I mean, he lost his mom, mm-hmm. um, you know, struggling with, is my mom in heaven, and, and all that stuff. And 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 now, you know, he's he's realized that he's been chosen, that, that, that these angel-like beings have selected him because they want to use him to save the human race. And so it gives him, like, this sense of, like, fulfillment that he didn't that he never had before and I think for me like when I fully began to realize that you know I am a child of God that I'm loved by him that it changed the way that I think about myself it changed the way I think about other people mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so I think for me that was my kind of big rebirth moment yeah I, I can't remember who which pastor I heard it from it might it might have been you but when I was I was younger, there was a pastor who had talked about um, trying to live each day as a rebirth. Like you you got baptized that morning, and how would you live your life? Mm. And that's something that I've kind of tried to to try to think about. I'm I'm not good at remembering just because I have terrible memory at re- trying to remember that every morning that uh, the old Devin is is put to death from yesterday and mm. you're, you're, I'm a new Devin today. Mm. Um, like, what are you going to do as a new person today? It's starting out as a blank slate, which is, which is what God's given us. He's given us his grace. And because of that, we have a blank slate every day. Mm. And it, it's, a, it's at least the imagery that goes through my head every time, um, I take communion on, on a Sunday mm. is, um, I'm a blank slate again. And I, I just think it personally has helped me want to do better in my life and want to be a better person and to live for God rather than myself. Is it's it's something that hasn't always been easy, but when I when I keep that image in my head as like a kind of like inspirational quote of the day, mm-hmm. it has helped me to 
have a better day, really, mm -hmm. just in general. Yeah. Yeah. There's a, um, you know, as I was thinking about, you know, what we've been talking about today and, you know, when we were watching the movie together, you know, as you see everything going on in this movie, I mean, uh, the world, you know, you realize early on, you know, maybe even from the moment where he mentions determinism versus, you know, uh, relativism, you know, or whatever, whatever he called it, uh, randomness. Right, yeah. Um, you know, that this is, everything's going to fall apart pretty quickly. And, you know, it got me thinking, what do we do? You know, what's the most important thing during those moments? You know, early on in this movie, you know, as things are starting to fall apart, Nick Cage, uh, what he's clinging to is his mind, right? I've mm -hmm. got to, I've got to figure all this out. Um, I want to figure out how things are, how did this person know all this was going to happen? Why is all this happening? Why did she know yeah. that this was going to happen? What does it all mean? Uh, and then as you kind of see things move through um, their, their story, what's important changes. You know, so I, I wanted to add kind of, maybe this is something that we can wrap up with. Maybe yeah. there's another question. Yeah, I think this is a good you know, one to wrap up but, with. Um, what is really important at the end of days? Maybe we're not talking about the big picture end of days, but you know, at the end of the day, mm -hmm. you know, what is really important? You know, when everything's falling apart, um, what is most important? What do we cling to? You know, and as I was thinking about all that, you know, what is going to make sense of all this? You know, and how am I going to be a whole person at the end of catastrophe. Mm -hmm. There's only two things, you know, with the possibility of, depending on how you interpret it um, and what's going on. If God is not the first thing I cling to, I don't think I can do any of it. Mm -hmm. You know, and I think that's um, kind of what we see at the beginning for, you know, Nick Cage. It's, He's just missed God for so long. He's been mad at God because of what had happened with yeah. uh, his wife. He just doesn't want anything to do with that. So uh, I think that's why you see him so frantic, and he's drinking, and he's you know he's trying to do all this on his own. Um, and then as time goes on, I think he slowly starts to understand God's role in what's happening. So he starts to at least accept the idea that God does have a plan, that God does care for what happens to us. And let us let me cling to that childlike faith that I once had. And then at the you know end of the movie, you know, you see um, him go be with his son. And he's upset that he can't go with his kid mm -hmm. to this new creation. He can't go on the ark. Um, but he understands it's for the best. Mm -hmm. So... He's sad, but he knows that his son is safe. So then he goes to be with his family. You know, in the in those last moments of life, you know, instead of just being comfortable where he was at and accepting the inevitable fate that I'm going to burn alive in my Ford truck, mm -hmm. um, he decides to go out of his way to 
go and be with his family. He goes uh, to a, a household where he clearly had been uncomfortable for the, at least the past year uh, and have that those last few minutes spent with his you know dad and his mom and his sister. And then what does the dad say? He, he says he, he says uh, this isn't the end son. yeah and he, he, he says uh, yeah. I, I know. So Which, in that last yeah. moment, you know, you have family, you have uh, this reassurance that this isn't it, that God cares, that I'm going to get to be with uh, my wife very soon, and I'm going to get to be with my son again someday, mm-hmm. but this isn't the end. And, you know, and, and you could also mix into that whole world, you know, the church itself. You know, I, I am a far better person because of the people that I've chosen to spend my time with. You know, uh, I can't imagine what my life would be like if I didn't have other followers in it. You know, I mean, my, my, you know, my family's great, you know, you know, God is ultimately the ones transforming the most, but there's so much I've learned from other believers through the years that have made me into a better person you know when I look at how do I approach this situation I can usually look at well how would um, my mother-in-law handle this situation or how would Miss Ellen handle this situation or how would you know Dick Henniger handle this situation and you know by looking at those kind of you know uh, examples I can usually find uh, an approach that makes the most sense to me so I think, to me, those are the three things that, you know, I have to cling to, you know, in the worst situation imaginable. Yeah. I like that the, the movie ends with, with that imagery of them all being together, and it yes. goes along with the saying that uh, John and his son Caleb uh, signed to each other throughout the whole movie, which is together forever. Yeah. It's the same uh, motto that's written in the locket that, um, that John's wife has left him. Yeah. Uh, of just being together forever, which I, I think is God's promise to us mm-hmm. that we'll be together forever. Mm-hmm. You might be separated in physical terms, mm-hmm. but ultimately we're still together. Yeah. I think it's just the fact that he finds peace at the end through it all. You know, that yeah. through... You know, trying to stop everything and trying to, you know, everything's going nuts. And then all of a sudden it's like he reaches that point where he understands we have to go back to the house because something's going on there that can that is a good thing. And he even still mm-hmm. doesn't understand. Yeah. But then he goes and <clears throat> those little black rocks that are throughout the movie. And, and, and then he sees his kid and he's like, oh, thank goodness you're okay. And then... He understands, and then you know he he's like, well, "We're going to go on the spaceship," and then he has to, then he has to make the decision of, "I can't go, so how am I going to, you know, am I going to keep you here with me, or am I going to, you know, let you go and possibly save the human race?" Mm-hmm. And he decides, you know what, you go, and not only because he's going to save the human race, but because I can save my son just by letting him go. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, just 
to me, it's really powerful. You know, and the fact that he, at the end of the movie, he's at peace with it to where he goes to his parents' house and they ask, where's Caleb? And he's like, he's safe. You know, which is a weird thing to say. Yeah. Why <laughs> are you believing that? <laughs> yeah. yeah. But, Why are you so quick to accept that he's safe? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's just, it was just, to me, it was really powerful at the end to just see the transformation in his heart from a skeptic and someone who was just almost angry at yeah. life to being surrounded by family that he had walked away from for a while and they're all in a group hug together before they all you know burn alive mm -hmm. but it's just it's a really cool it's a really cool little way to end that movie mm -hmm. yeah all that being said it is very Nick Cage very cheesy yeah I mean <laughs> if you're going into this movie expecting to have you know, some kind of Oscar, Oscar quality <laughs> performance. You know, that's not what this movie is. No. You know, you, you can't try and make it into something that it was never intended to be. But all in all, it tells a story that I believe, you know, from a you know, from a Hollywood standpoint, yeah. you know, communicates that there is something bigger out there that has. Um, an ultimate desire for us to have a good life and to exist and thrive. Yeah. So uh, I think it's a good movie. Um, I hope you have enjoyed our time together. This has been Real Parables. We hope to see you or hear you. You hear us. Next yeah, time. you hear us. <laughs> Next time. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you.